Hello and welcome to Stream It, the podcast where we explore movies, old favorites, new favorites, and every so often movies we love just a little bit less. This is season three, episode eight, and today we are going back to 1996 and talking about Mission Impossible 1, the first Mission Impossible. As always, my name is Zachary Ortz. I am one of your co-hosts, and I am joined this week, just like each week preceding this week, by my good buddy, Matthew Watkins. Hey, Maddie, how you doing? Good, how about you? I am doing well. Uh, you're not the only one on the line with me this week. We are also joined by our good friends from Icon or Wycon, Andrew David Sotomayor and CJ LaRoche. Hey guys, how you doing? Wonderful. How are you tonight? You've already you already answered that question. You already answered that, but we're we're wonderful because we're here. So absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. No, this yeah. is gonna be great. Yeah, this is our first time having guests on the show. So the we're <gasps> yeah, yeah, we're we're really doing it. Excellent. Um do you guys want to answer once and for all which one of you is the icon and which one is the Ycon? I am very confident that I'm the Ycon. You are the Ycon <laughs> in this Absolutely. relationship. Yeah, I, it's I'll, true. I'll own it. Like I, I attached myself to CJ years ago and he just has been able to shake me. <laughs> Yeah, you're like a parasite living in my basement. Oh my God, what a good film reference. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That's not the movie, though, that we're discussing. Oh, no, they already no, said it's, it's not, Mission yeah. Impossible. Okay, it is Mission Wonderful Impossible. Movie, yeah. Yeah. I, I had no I had no no bits for it. Um before we <laughs> before we dive into before we dive into our show though, do you guys want to give a quick rundown of what your show is and what people can expect if they go check it out? And they definitely should go check it out in my opinion. Sure, sure. Well, we are Icon or Ycon, and uh, our whole thing is we tackle whole film universes. So, and we do it one movie at a time, one, one episode per movie. Every now and then, if it's like a Zack Snyder's Justice League or something super long, we'll break it up into two. But uh, we are pretty consistent about uh, giving you your weekly dose of a film in your favorite franchises. We haven't gone too niche yet. So that's that's well. I mean, we did we did a baseball round, right? We did that's nine true. innings, so that's pretty we, niche. We did nine innings of made up baseball trilogies. Yeah, we made I universes. So, I was so proud of that. Like, yeah, that one was work. good. Do yeah. Andrew? Do you even know the rules of baseball? I learned them during the <laughs> podcast, <laughs> and and it culminated in CJ taking me to my first Mets game. Oh, that's great. Oh, oh I didn't no! Even, no, we that's right. Yeah, throttle. yeah, we went yeah. full throttle with it. Oh, and Degrom pitch. I'm wearing that T-shirt. Yeah, that was no, you saw that Jake, was, Jacob Degrom. That was a great game. I even I even got the whole. I did have the full thing. I had beers. I got sick from those hot dogs. It, it was great. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I, you you really did it. I bought a very expensive hat. He bought a hat, guys. He yeah. bought a fucking wow. hat. Wow. Yeah, he's a we, Met uh, fan. Signed up for a lifetime of misery. Uh, We're. We're a little delayed on recording here because this is episode eight, but we just released our fourth episode, which was, or I guess our third episode was Pride of the Yankees. So we did our first baseball movie Ooh. for that. Oh, wow. And, Super fun. Yep. Matt thought it was going to be a short episode, and I told him he was vastly underestimating my desire to quiz him about baseball stats. <laughs> <laughs> was that was that Gary Cooper? It was, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, we did, yeah. We did that for the 80 year anniversary. And then the next episode just released, we, we did a high noon. So we did a little a little Cooper duology, Ooh, which was kind yeah. of fun. <laughs> Super fun. Very cool. Uh, cool. So let's, let's get started here. The way our show works is the front half, we keep relatively spoiler free. I'd say anyone who is a uh, spoiler phobe level seven, 7.5 and below, you're totally good to listen to the front half of the show and then make a decision whether or not you want to see the movie or, um, we've gotten a lot of feedback in our first couple of seasons of pe- people being like, oh man, there was a lot of stuff that I wish I had known going into the movie. So mm. we'll give you all that rundown for history here. And uh, if one of us accidentally drops a spoiler thing, uh, hopefully we'll edit that out and post and not ruin anyone's life here. Yeah, but it will be Andrew. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. I'll try though. We'll do our best. The first thing that we like to do is we like to give a rundown of what our history is with this movie, how much experience we have watching it, if we've seen it before, if we have history with the franchise. So, Andrew, do you want to kick us off? Have you seen this movie before? I have seen this movie before, actually. This movie, I remember seeing this movie when I was a kid at Palm Coast Showcase Cinema 3, which was our local theater. It only had three screens. And, um, and they made a great little French bread pizza. And I just remember this moment so vividly because do you guys remember, um, you, you guys know the, the um, network FX, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when FX first started, it was such a weird splinter cable thing and their only programming was reruns. And they had one set where they would do like these live talks with different hosts and the hosts would do these small shows. And then it, the, the format completely changed with John Corbett's Lucky, the first series they produced. But um, I remember FX and FX had all of the Mission Impossibles because it's it's properties that were owned by Fox. So Mm -hmm. by the time the movie came out, I had seen every single episode of the original series as well as the 80s revival series. Wow. I was so ready. So that's my relationship with this movie. I saw it with my mom and dad and my mom was a huge Mission Impossible fan and she would watch them with me when she got home from work. So like we were all caught up and ready to see what the movie franchise was gonna do. It was like fresh for me. Wow, that's wild, that's yeah. cool. You were the in timing, that. The timing was such a win for me. Yeah, that, oh, that's awesome. Uh, Maddie, what about you? Yeah, so uh, I didn't have quite that same experience, but my dad is also a really big Mission Impossible fan, like the original TV series. And he had watched all of that. So he dragged us out to the movie theater to go see it. And so I saw it in the movie theater on opening night, the or opening day, the first day that it came out. Uh, mm. And it was a blast to watch. I, I had a lot of fun in the theater. Uh, and I hadn't really seen very many spy films before that because I think I was 12 mm. at the time. So, uh, and I hadn't really been introduced to James Bond or anything like that beforehand. So this was, this is my first really big spy spy film. I'd seen Get Smart was the other thing that I'd watched, <clears throat> which is kind of a parody. It's an awesome show. So, yeah, it's an awesome show, really great show. Uh, so coming into this one, it was just, it blew me away all the different things that they were doing. And um, I love the stunt so much. So, and then I've gone on to watch um, all of the Mission Impossibles except the light, latest one I haven't gone around to. So that's kind of where I stand with those. And have you seen any of the TV shows? 
Uh, I've seen like two episodes of the TV shows going back and watching them after the fact, but otherwise still uh, not very familiar with the TV show. Got it. Uh, CJ, what about you? So Mission Impossible for me runs deep all the way back to like Peter Graves and the, God rest. the Phelps in the original TV show. Mm. Uh, I saw him in Airplane and I was like, I just got to see, got to see more of this guy. And so I started watching the the Mission Impossibles. I can't remember. Maybe I rented them, or I don't know. I don't know how I how I watched them, but I was really really excited for this movie. It came out like right around the time that I graduated high school, so I was pretty cool. I got to drive myself to the theater, unlike Andrew. Oh, that's cool. Well. Um, <laughs> so I got to got to do that, and uh, yeah, I think I think I took a date to the film as well, and it it was uh, what a hot shot. Yeah, part de. It was it was cool, yeah. It was it was definitely like a I was feeling myself when this movie came out because I was I was I just lost a bunch of weight and I was like gonna go off to college and so Mission Impossible definitely holds a, a very 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 warm place in my heart. Nice, um, awesome. Yeah, I guess I'm different from all y'all. Um, I have seen every James Bond movie. I've seen all the Jason Bourne movies. I have. Until this weekend, I had never seen this movie. What? Um, what? Yeah. This, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, this was this was my first time. So my best friend Evan had shown me Mission Impossible 3. That's the JJ Abrams one, right? That one sucks. Yes. Yep. So, <laughs> <laughs> so so that one he rebooted I had, it. that's why you're you're upset. Oh really? Um yeah. So that so that one I have seen, but I mean it was almost two decades ago at this point. So I mean I basically knew nothing. It was mm. yeah, that's cool. Uh, that is cool. Yeah, so that it'll be fun to fun to get into this one. So that's personal history. Our next segment is we believe on the show that it's important and also fun to sort of place ourselves in the time period of. 1996 and the time that this movie came out um and normally you know matt and i'll spend probably way too long talking about various events from the year and we probably lose like half of our listeners during this time but in order in order to try and keep this show a little more compact i asked everyone to just pull an event from 1996 that either you wanted to talk about or you thought might relate to the movie and we can talk about it now oh and i should say this movie came out may 22nd of 1996 so right in the in the heart of your your summer blockbuster uh who should i have go first cj do you want to go first yeah, sure. So I'm using this as kind of a therapeutic moment as well. I was very excited when I saw that this was the question for this segment because all through the summer of 1996, I was getting very excited to, to go to college. Uh, and I went to college in New York and New York City. And I'm a Met fan, as, as I said earlier, but I was very, very happy to be rooting for the New York Yankees. I was from Vermont. No, get out of here. I, I was, I'm from Vermont, like 18 years old, 17 years old. I had no, I, I had no idea that the Yankees and the Mets were a thing, right? Because when I was growing up, it was the 86, 88 Hernandez, Carter Mets. And, you know, the Yankees sucked and it was awesome for New York Met fans living in New York. I had no idea. So here I am. I'm like, yo, the Yankees and they're playing the Braves and I hate the fucking Braves. And 
uh, can I curse on the show? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Uh, and and I'm like, I'm I'm rooting for the Yankees so hard. And Charlie Hayes catches the last out of the 1996 World Series. And the Yankees win their first World Series in like 20 years. And I had no idea that I was supposed to be pissed about that. Like, <laughs> no, amazing. no clue whatsoever. And I'm like, I'm in a bar, and there's like a couple of sour great Mets fans, and you know, I'm like, what's the matter, guys? Like the Yankees, New York, like isn't that how it works? <laughs> And they were just like, they, they said, sit down, son. Grizzly old Met fans. And, and we, they just started doing shots and they started telling me how much I need to hate the Yankees. And, and that was that was the moment where I was like, oh my God, yeah, you're so fucking right. Fuck Steinbrenner, fuck they buy championships, fucking way bogs. And that was the moment where like, I just became old and bitter at 18 years old. You were indoctrinated. 96, yeah. I mean, look, man, if... If your parents, like, if no one teaches you that being a Death Eater is wrong, like, <laughs> yeah. how are you supposed to know? How are you that... supposed to know? Yeah. Yo, and Zach, the worst part about it is my father was a fucking Brooklyn Dodger fan. Oh, oh wow. geez. Yeah. yeah. So, like, That's painful. He, he hated the Yankees. He just never shared that with you. He just me. never, he just never told you. He never no, told he never you told you weren't supposed to be a Death Eater. Yeah. yeah never told me. So Sometimes. Sometimes as a parent, you think stuff is self-evident and then yeah, no, he yeah turns so out it's I not. You just I thought you just know like they're the Yankees. Fuck them. I'm like, okay, here I am. I know now. I know now. Jesus. Coming of age moment. So yeah, undoubtedly. Nice. Uh and we are currently in a nice, nice long drought for our uh unbeloved new york team it's been oh 100 they're gonna yeah. finish in fourth place in the division play this oh, back in so september good. everybody play it back fourth place hey if we take <laughs> if we take too long to release the episode maybe it'll come out in september <laughs> <laughs> it's not andrew we'll editing it so you're fine oh i wow, wow. wow. i'm saving my f's for later but you earned one of those <laughs> Welcome to podcast therapy. Wow. <laughs> Bring your co-host on and Zach and Matt will talk you through your marital troubles. <laughs> we certainly need to. Uh, Andrew, um, what do you have? Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, Andrew, do you want to talk about your 1996? Oh my God. Memory? Okay. So <laughs> this is so fucking weird. But I remember it vividly. Um, it was the the Centennial Park bombing at the Summer Olympics. Right. Mm -hmm. That Atlanta. was a huge deal. I mean, they just came out with that Richard Jewell movie about it. And I was uh, I was growing up in Florida. So like the Olympics being in Atlanta was a huge deal. I was 13 years old. So was, all you do is like with your family and you watch the Olympics, you know, it was, it was a thing. And, and the, I remember that whole scandal and then, and then how the dude that was a hero because he like noticed the duffel bag under the bench, they're like, you're suspect number one. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, he gets exonerated later and then it takes years that it, it was this whole saga. This guy bombed three more things, three more bombs went off and then they found him years later and Richard Jewell's name was dragged through the mud, but all because of this Centennial Park bombing that happened that it was a late night concert. It could have been worse, but it was it was a big deal. And he saved people by noticing this mysterious duffel bag. It was one of the earliest, if you see something, say something moments. 
and it was just after a movie about somebody that a tragedy yeah. falls him, and because he's the sole survivor, he's automatically suspect number one. It's fucking crazy. Which is not unlike yeah. the movie. Nope. Yeah, I remember this event really well too because the year before, the year before this, I was living in Alabama, and we went over to Atlanta all the time. So it was when it when we heard the Olympics were coming, we planned to get tickets, and then we moved to Vegas and we weren't able to do it, but. So this was on all the time that it was on the news. My parents had it on. We saw the whole coverage of everything. And it was so much drama and just such a tragedy for that guy to get uh, to get just blasted in the media. He's, no I, good deed yeah. goes unpunished, folks. Remember that. Yeah. I rooted for the Yankees, got scolded for it. <laughs> wow. And, and on the topic of false equivalency. And now you're stuck slumming it on stream it. If you hadn't done that, <laughs> you could have been on This American Life tonight, you know, but instead you're stuck with us. For real. Or serial. I don't know what the hip, the hip podcast is these days. The thing that I wanted to talk about from 1996 is this is the year that the N64 was released. Big deal. Uh, yeah. yeah. Huge deal. And I mean, like, obviously burgeoning technology and sort of like (laughs) it's kind of odd looking at the gadgets and the the tech that exists in this movie and I think the N64 ties in really well to that I mean it was a sea change certainly in my childhood I think for anyone who played video games just like unbelievable that we could have 3D video games so it launched in it launched in Japan in on June 23rd, so just about a month after this movie came out, but then it didn't come to the States until September of that year. Huh. And GoldenEye, so the James Bond movie, the movie came out in 95, and then the video game came out, I think, mid-1997. So this the spy stuff was in the air. Yeah. Hot, hot take. Goldeneye, even with like the PlayStation 5 being out right now, Goldeneye on the N64, that's a top 10 video game. That game is great. Yeah. I don't don't know that that's a hot take. I mean, it's a fact. Yeah. A a lot of people have a lot of love for that game. I never was good good at first person shooters. So it like, I just wanted to play Mario instead. It was such a thrilling game. Nothing looked like it. it. You could buy the gun. You know what I mean? Like it was, yeah. it was a whole moment. Oh, it was and awesome. the multiplayer was so good uh, yes. in that game. Yeah, it was just so good. I mean, it was hours wasted. Hours. So many game. hours wasted. Yeah. Was it wasted Boys. or was it? Uh... <laughs> We Bond were wasted. Time. Oh, I got it. I understand. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know how many hours I've spent in my life just like camped out in the temple in that long tunnel, you know, right by the body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, waiting. Just waiting. It's great. Uh, along with this on the N64, there was a Mission Impossible video game that came out like the year after this. Yep. Um, and I know this because I had it and I played, I just played it to death. And it, the story is like 90% different than the film, but right. you know, it was, it was still fun. Yeah. And Ethan looked nothing like Ethan. Nothing. Like, yeah. Kind of looked like really me, different. like now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, head. accurate. Yeah. So, it, it's wild. 
Uh, what about you, Maddie? What did you What did you have from '96? So in 1996, November of 1996, the Toshiba SD3000 was released, which was the first DVD player. Um, yeah. So you know this the first DVDs that came out. This one was not in the first wave. Uh, Mission Impossible came out in 1998 on DVD, mm. but just the existence of DVDs and the uh, difference in the affordability of watching movies at home and all those kinds of things and the, the ability to transport them and not having to use, you know, a VCR and all the issues that come with a VCR. It changed the film industry so much, and this was right on the edge of that. Uh, and I find the this Mission Impossible movie, which a lot of it is about, you know, the transfer of data and then like the way they were using these discs in the in the film with the laser discs and all of that. Um, was a it's just a, a fascinating uh, tie-in with the time period most definitely mission impossible is one of the very first dvds i bought mm. uh, same I, for me like yeah. 2000 i think when i got first moved into my own apartment and got a dvd player it's like i gotta own mission impossible yeah it's a, i remember getting that dvd as well and like the menu is fun because it has you know the that um the fuse burning down on the menu and then it goes right. through the different, yeah. So right. it was a fun menu. Yeah, I mean, it's a big deal to be able to put stuff on your movies other than only the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can put special sure. features, you can put that landing screen, you can, oh, uh, sure. the aspect ratio was obviously different. Yeah, I mean, I've, single, I've single-handedly kept the company Declutter alive by sending them all of my old DVDs. Cause my wife is like, we can't, we can't have this many DVDs. And I still have like a big console full and there's a box. There's a box in the closet in the kid's room, the DVDs. We have so many, we have so many DVDs. They're like, when, um, because me and Bart have very extensive film collections and there's some doubles too, but like there, when we moved in, there's just this weird little ledge in our living room. And uh, Barsky was like, should we put like the DVDs up there? And I, my response was like, I mean, we're not plant gays, we're movie gays. So I guess, I guess that's, that's, what, you, that's what you do with that ledge, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? put it there. Yeah. yeah. So like yeah. All, all of our DVDs surround us and it's such a great look. I love it so much. Oh, but like, yeah, but having like a DVD was a whole thing. And like, you always look for the one with the, um, you know, I was looking for the one with the deleted scenes or the, the alternate deleted scenes. The alternate mm-hmm. endings yes. of the deleted scenes is where it was at for your DVD purchasing. For yeah, sure. Kids yeah. these days, man, they can just fucking log on to YouTube, type in Attack of the Clones DVD, uh, deleted scenes and just lose hours. And we had to like spend $35 yeah, on you the two disc edition. You had to hunt for that stuff. And it, like any behind, the, any behind the scenes stuff, it wasn't easy to find. Like you had to get the DVD and... Yeah. I don't know. It was difficult. Now you can just like go look up interviews on YouTube. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. I was listening to uh, David S. Goyer, who did Foundation recently. I don't know if uh, Andrew and CJ, if you guys watched that one, but he had said on a podcast, someone had asked him, like, aren't you sad that this probably won't get released on DVD? So you won't get to do like any special features. And he was like, I'm out here doing podcasts instead. Like, I think that's the new special features for DVDs. (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, that's 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 kind of right. I thought about that. Yeah, no, I hadn't either. All right. Let's talk about a little bit about the personnel for this movie. But first, I wanted to talk about 
the some of the other films from 1996. So this this was the third highest grossing movie of the year. Right above it, we had Independence Day. Well, I say right above it, but it was actually like almost double the box office. Yeah. It was Independence Day. That was the top movie of the year. Yeah, $82 of that was mine. I saw that movie four times in the theaters. Four. It was a fun one. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, this was before I watched live action films. Like, I was still too young. I was nine. So, I, yeah, I don't think I'd even seen a live action film yet. So, oh, wow. Yeah. I, it Because of, like, I talk about it all the time on the show, but because I have a Fantasia, and we'll talk about it for this movie because it did make an impact. Yeah, it just makes it harder to keep that shit straight in my head. So it, <laughs> yeah. it, it like took me took me longer. In between Independence Day and Mission Impossible, there's Twister, Amazing which is movie. Twister. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah pretty pretty close to Mission Impossible. Both those did a little under what half a billion, and then we have The Rock. Uh, and Matt, you had said you you Sean have all Connery. all ten of these movies. Yeah, I've uh, seen all ten of these. Yeah. And then a pair of Disney animated films, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and then 101 Dalmatians. Well, the 101 Dalmatians the, one is that's live action. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the live action. The Glenn of Close course, one. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah Glenn Close. I, yeah, yeah, that's right. Hunchback's overrated. Fuck you, Hunchback. Is great. <laughs> I love Hunchback. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's a great movie. I love it. Put your claws away. <laughs> so, so good. Yeah. It's so good. Most people don't like Hunchback, so I think it's underrated. What's yeah. up, Zach? What's up? Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's overrated. Oh, okay. Uh, and then we have Ransom at number seven. Great movie. And, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and then The Nutty Professor, Jerry Maguire, and number 10, Space Jam. Guys, Space hits. Jam. Hits. All of those movies are hits. Yeah, they're all great. The yeah. Top ten. Is Ransom a hit? Is Ran- Ransom is a hit? Ransom Andrew? is a hit. Mel Mel Gibson in Ransom was a whole ass moment. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. true. Okay. Yeah. And it's it a big did, deal for him. Before it did Mel three hundred million. You know. Yeah. Has Mel been canceled? I forget. Oh yes, yes, yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once, twice, ten times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Early two thousands cancellation. Oh yeah. shit. Okay. Yeah. And then. Mission Impossible. I, I guess I didn't check, but I think they didn't have special effects awards at this time, maybe, but it didn't get nominated for any Oscars. So the the best picture winner this year was The English Patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, some other movies that I pulled from that year, Fargo was 96, which kind of shocked me. I thought that movie was newer than 96, oh. but I guess not. My friend Allison is in the new one the cool. tv show yeah oh that is cool i haven't watched the tv show she's great I love oh, them. She's I haven't either yeah it's good uh the english patient it wasn't one of the actors in mission impossible wasn't that uh what's her name chris uh kristen scott thomas wasn't she in the english patient am i making that up uh i don't know i haven't seen the english patient oh well, it's kristen scott thompson it's fine uh what? and then and then the it's other fine. movie it's not a great it's movie fine. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's I'm sorry, it's, Zach. No, it is, it, it, <laughs> sorry. Can you put us in a breakout room? Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll break out. 
we'll just have uh, five minutes of people can listen to, you'll have me and Matt in the left ear and then you two in the right ear. I feel like that would be really good audio content. So good. That's fun. Uh, Kristen Scott Thomas was in the English page. Yeah, she was. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Got there. Uh, and then the other four movies I had pulled, uh, the movie version of Evita was so this good. year. Yeah, that's fun. Train spotting, waiting Ooh, for waiting for Guffman, and uh, everyone's favorite sports movie, Happy Gilmore. Solid year for movies, guys. These are all really great. Yeah, movies. yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. Interesting movies. Yeah, 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 for sure. Except for Life English was Fisher. better in the. Mi- <laughs> it, it's also a strange year where the top ten. I think this is true. None of these. Like Mission Impossible, obviously, is based on existing IP, but none of them exist in previous film franchises. Oh, idea. Which, um, I mean, original idea is... Except for Hunchback and 101 Dalmatians, which uh, Hunchback has had, like, a gazillion versions. Yeah. And then 101 Dalmatians was just a reboot. Yeah, I wouldn't say the IP is original, but it's not... Most top ten lists, it's, like, a, at least one or two or three of them yeah, are sequels. Right. right. Yeah. And that's not the case this year. I'm just kind yeah, of interested. No sequels. It's fun. Have, has anyone seen Cruella? The new one? I didn't watch it yet. No. I haven't seen it. No. I heard it's weird, okay. though. I watched 10 minutes of it and then I turned it off. Okay. So, good to know. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. So, <laughs> A strong endorsement. Save me two hours. You want guns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> appreciate that. Budget for this movie was $80 million and the box office was a whopping $457 million. So nice. that's done. Yeah, that's a smash head. That's a W. That is, that is some good work. Let's talk a little bit about personnel here. Yeah. Who should I have go first? Maddie, why don't you go first? Yeah, so the director of this film was Brian De Palma. Mm. And Brian De Palma is... You know, he's done a lot of different films and he's one of the most controversial filmmakers just in history. A lot of people, you know, have issues with some of his stuff, but also he has a lot of classics, things like, oh, what has he done? He did Sisters, Carrie, Scarface, The Untouchables, uh, Mission Impossible, uh, Snake Eyes, The Black Dahlia. And those are some of the big hits and The Bonfire of the Vanities is in there, a bunch of things like that. And this was, I don't know, like his 15th movie, something like that. Uh, One of the things that was fascinating about Brian De Palma is that he's part of this like cohort of directors that him and Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola and then uh, Martin Scorsese all were just best friends. And they would hang out with each other all the time and have dinner at each other's houses. And uh, they were just always talking about movies, showing each other movies and things like that. Uh, And the way that he got involved with the film is Tom Cruise was working on producing this and he uh, was looking for a director and he went out one day to hang out at Steven Spielberg's house just for dinner, you know, as you do. Um, (laughs) He was over there and they just were going, they would always go and just screen movies in the theater in Steven Spielberg's basement and they watched a Brian De Palma film and he's like, you know, you should have Brian do this. We're friends and I can just give you his number and that's how Brian De Palma got the got the picture uh so you know nice work if you can get it yeah it's nice um I watched this documentary this last week about Brian De Palma 
and it's called De Palma. It came out in 2016, and it's just him st- talking straight to the camera for two hours. And <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's it's wild, but then it shows clips of his films interspersed in between, and it was really interesting, fascinating. One of the more interesting deep dives into the making of film that I've seen, and there was, you know, a lot of drama on the set with. Uh, with this film getting made um they hired his buddy to write the screenplay and then as soon as they got it the they're like actually we want you to do the film but we don't want his screen we don't want him to be on the screenplay so they fired him the first day um and brought in robert town <laughs> that's <laughs> not such good work yeah uh and then when robert town and brian de palma weren't getting along like uh, three months into working on the picture they brought they brought uh decote back in and then they had the two screenwriters in different hotel rooms, like separated from each other, writing different scripts on the same material and then sending them in. And then they were just mixing them up as they were, as the oh production. Yeah. So which is a nightmare, but Depot's got a lot of interesting stuff. One of the things that he uh, is also famous for is so much like his films are really violent and there's a lot of uh, violence specifically targeted against women in his films. So this is why he's so controversial and he has a really complicated uh, history with uh, women's groups. A lot of times will uh, protest his films, but some of them see them as like subversive feminist films. And so there's a lot of discussion about him in different aspects and he's a really hard director to pin down. But so it's interesting what he puts into this film and the kind of approach that he took to it. Yeah, one of the things, and we'll talk about it a little more later, but I was not prepared to have such a director's mark on this film. Like it is clearly, there are a lot of moments where you feel the director in this movie. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was not ready for that for sure. Why don't I go next? Because I think it kind of segues, segues well in here. I'm going to talk about a little, a little actor named Tom Cruise and, everybody knows who Tom Cruise is. Obviously, Tom Cruise is, like, he's simultaneously someone who has been beloved as a movie star. And, like, if you just run down his filmography, it's, like, unbelievable the amount of good or great films that he has done. But then... Uh, he's also had some amount of controversy because his first wife uh, converted him to Scientology. And there's some question about whether or not like the church was grooming him specifically because he was a star on the rise. And they thought that if they could get a star on the rise, then it would be great for the brand of Scientology. And it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I that story... I did some reading on it and it seems a little too tinfoil hat to me to, to really line up that like the church was it like, if it was that easy to predict who was going to become a movie star, then casting agencies wouldn't have jobs, you know, Mm. but, and then he had a controversy in 2013 or 2014 where he basically spoke out against modern medicine or, uh, something like that and then eventually had to sort of walk it back but then not really walk it back 
But anyway, so Tom Cruise's first film was in 1981. His first first film was Endless Love, but he also where he had a bit role. But then he also did Taps, where he had a starring role. And then he would go on to do in 1983. He did The Outsiders and Risky Business. And it wasn't much longer before he did Top Gun in 86. And by the time Top Gun came out, he was a full-fledged movie star. And that, yeah, by that point, he had arrived and he was able to enjoy that for a decade. You know, he did Rain Man, which I think that was his first film that got Oscar buzz. Um got nominated and Dustin Hoffman won for that one, I believe. And then he did Born on the Fourth of July, for which I believe he was nominated, Few Good Men in 92. But then what's cool about Mission Impossible, and I didn't realize that, realize this, it's the first film that he produced. Yeah. And he would go on to produce all of the Mission Impossible films and uh, he he did all his own stunts for this film. It was something that was really important to him. And yeah, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So that's Tom Cruise. I don't know if anyone wants to add anything about, about him. What's interesting with the De Palma Cruise uh, dynamic on set, right? It was, was right, tough yeah. because Cruise was the producer and De Palma was a dick. So yeah, exactly. That was that was probably troubling. Also, Cruz was what thirty four when he filmed this at like his peak power. Super mm-hmm. rich, married to Nicole Kidman, like yeah, the biggest movie star on the planet. Yeah, was top of the world by the time this movie yeah, was made. for like, sure, for sure. And De Palma helped write the Star Wars scroll. It's true. So, yeah, Goliaths, yeah. Goliaths. Uh, yeah, when Star Wars, when they screened it, um, he's like, listen, nobody's going to understand that. You got to you gotta write something at the beginning so that people will not be confused. And that's where yeah. that came from. Yeah. Probably so, in Steven Spielberg's basement. Probably. Probably, yeah. So, um, so much happens in Steven Spielberg's basement. One of the interesting, Matt and I were talking about this a little bit offline. One of the interesting things about Tom Cruise is this duality where anyone who's been involved with him familiarly, uh, there's a lot of not very good stories about him, about whether he's controlling or whether he's like how he treats those in his immediate family and the effect that Scientology has had on that. But Mm. almost all of the stories from him on set are just unbelievably glowing and that he's so great to work with. And I don't think that's necessarily all that surprising or impossible to imagine people can contain multitudes and people have different people depending on who they're talking to and who they're with but it's an interesting thing to reckon with for the fir- yeah. the first have you time- heard that re- Ooh, i'm gonna i'm gonna oh, let andrew talk the same thing? yeah i'm gonna let the, andrew talk the, the, we're talking about the same thing though i can tell we gotta uh, be it's the the first time we've ever heard him being uh, bad behavior on set is his rant about somebody not being properly masked during mission impossible 7 filming yeah. And he was just like, we've had Yelling. to shut down for so screaming at him. He's like, and you're being this foolish. And they had multiple COVID outbreaks that kept halting production. And he got so mad at this guy that was not wearing his mask. Yeah. Freaked out. Fired him. It was like he was, yeah, he was, he was interrogating Jack Nicholson again. Yeah. Freaked out. And the recording got leaked. 
and everybody had all these opinions and i was like i don't know what it's like to be have that much money on my shoulders and just trying to get this movie finished he yeah three of three movies he was working on were fully stalled because of covid like the top gun sequel and seven and eight were being filmed simultaneously like does anyone know i should have looked did what he has he done or said anything regarding the vaccine do we know if he's oh i don't know obviously is would not be allowed aliens inside him probably wouldn't allow that yeah we don't want that is that the one scientology where there's aliens in your blood Uh, yeah cadence jesus christ i dabbled in scientology once but that's a story for another time yeah, that's the that's the post credit <laughs> sequence. So stick around for that one. <laughs> Head in hands. Anyway, so that's Tom Cruise. I'll have a link to the Jonathan Colton song in the show notes. <laughs> Andrew, why don't you go next? Who do you got? I I I gotta celebrate Jean Renault. Oh yeah. Jean, Jean yeah. Renault is such a Hollywood that guy. Yeah. And it's just so funny because I, I I've I've been a movie guy. I've talked about this on our show before, but like I had a lot of oral surgery growing up. And while I was coming down from the gas, my mom would sit me in front of something from her VHS collection. And that's why I love movies. Uh, I just watched all of her stuff and uh, she had fabulous tastes. That's why I have fabulous tastes. Anyway, mm-hmm. we always, we, she was such a movie lover. We always had all the premium channels and I would watch shit that I was not supposed to watch a lot. And I was not very pleased <laughs> as a child. But when Krieger comes on the screen in Mission Impossible, I was like, that's I, what 13-year-old is going to be like. That's the cleaner from La Femme Nikita. But I was. I was like, it's going to be the cleaner from La Femme Nikita. <laughs> also, lay on The Professional. Two Luc Besson movies. The Professional. Uh, the prof- and The Professional yeah. really was, The Professional was right before. It's a smaller part in La Femme Nikita, but that's a great movie. Yeah. But The Professional was what gave us Natalie Portman. It was such a huge deal of a movie when it came out to see him come on the screen. I was just like, oh my God, it's that guy. You know, and then he he had such a great, I mean, he'd done that shitty uh, Meg Ryan movie, French Kiss too, which is terrible. But um, he, he had done that too. And then he comes up later on in Godzilla and Ronan. He's such a that guy. And he kind of always plays the same kind of guy. He plays John Renault. But it's so yeah. it's so <laughs> so <perfect>. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting and so perfect. And I just I when I went back to rewatch this movie, I had the same feeling all over again. I was like Krieger, <laughs> like I love that guy. I think he's great, and he's a he's a fantastic actor, and he's just had a huge career, and he takes really long breaks from American cinema, and then he'll pop back up in like some random movie in the mid two thousand. Like he popped up in the Da Vinci Code out of the blue. Yep. You know, popped up in Hotel Rwanda in the 2000s, like completely went dark for American cinema for a long time. But he's still that guy. And he comes back and he gives you that feeling every time you see him. And I, I think he's fantastic. Also, Leon the Professional is one of the most moving and powerful movies I've ever seen. Yeah, like, it's tight. Yeah, an action movie with a heart of gold. It's insane. So that's my show. It's spiel. a great one. My yeah. Yeah. Jean Renault. Love the guy. Love seeing him in this. I think he's a perfect Krieger. He's great. He's so good. And of the t- and of the time, you have a character that is named Krieger that has the knives that is a disavowed IMF agent. It's perfect casting. Be like, just get the guy from Leon the Professional. Like, of course, it's such a magical fit. Mm. Spoiler alert! Radio edit. <laughs> I just oh. stopped myself from saying something. Oh, oh. good job. <laughs> Thank you. 
CJ, why don't you bring us home here? Yeah. So speaking of home, you know, I got to go. I got to go with my boy, good Canadian, good Ontario boy, Henry Cherney. Mm, Huge fan of his classical music. (laughs) (laughs) I understood that reference. Good Canadian boy, Henry Cherney. He plays Kittredge in this film. It was one of the one of the first American feature films that he did, but his first American feature film uh, was Clear and Present Danger, starring Harrison Ford. And if you have 11 minutes to waste, I strongly suggest going to YouTube, just Google Henry Cherney, C-Z-E-R-N-Y. He did an interview coming out of uh, Clear and Present Danger with this woman. I don't even know who she is, but she thinks she's Siskel and Ebert and... Barbara Walters rolled into one and the interview, they just, they just go back and forth. And she's like, well, what was it like to work with Harrison Ford and Cherney is so, such a Canadian fucking answer. He goes, well, I mean, he, at one time I said the wrong line, he punched me in the face and kicked me in the stomach. And then there was just this pause and he was like, Oh no, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. He, no, he's great tour. <laughs> oh, good Ontario boy, Henry Cherney. Good for you. Buddy. <laughs> But, uh, and then, you know, so he's a Canadian stage actor. He gets cast in Clear and Present Danger. And then he does this film. And then later on in the, the mid to mid to late 2000s, maybe, he stars in the ABC primetime soap opera Revenge. I loved that show. And I loved him in that show. The work that that man does in that show it's carries so good. it it's so he carries good. it and when they spoiler alert when they killed him off i was so fucking mad i was like what are you doing you have no one on this show that can act against madeline stowe and have it be believable like and it killed the show it, it did it killed the show it did doing that show without conrad made no sense conrad was yeah. such a huge part of it no that's like taking the maple out of syrup my, like, my mother my mother used to call me and ask me what I thought of that week's episode. Like, it was yeah. a thing. No, dude, revenge was a moment in time. And good, good Ontario boy, Henry Cherney. And he's coming back for the seven and eight. He is, Ooh, yeah. Yes, Kittredge is coming back. Coming back. Coming oh, back. oh, something I look forward to. He's a great actor, too. He does such oh, a good job in this so film. Good. And, yeah. you know, Shakespearean trained actor. And just, he's great. Yeah. Yeah, whilst you're on YouTube, he does the Queen Mab speech. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a video of him doing Queen Mab. I'm like, fuck yeah. yeah. I've used it to teach the Queen Mab speech in the past because oh, he's, wow. he does such a good job with it. Yeah. No, totally. I'll try and drop uh, drop those two videos in the, in the show notes, assuming I can find them. Nice. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right. That just about does it for the front half of the show here. The only... Final thing we have is if anyone has anything that they think, if there's some idiot like me who hasn't seen this movie before, if there's anything that you think they should know or something that would be good, that would just help them through their initial viewing. Does anybody have anything? I do. Yeah. Embrace that while the movie still looks great, and it still operates like a contemporary action film, don't let the technology pull you out because oh my God. the tech is visibly yes. dated, but you have to just mm-hmm. embrace the fact that it was advanced for 1996. 
totally it's just so hilariously dated at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and also what I would say is that that's Vanessa Redgrave. Mm, you're going to, yeah, you're going to watch sure. it and you're going to be, Oh my God, I love Lynn Redgrave. It's, it's Vanessa not, Redgrave. It's, it's Vanessa Redgrave. It's yes. Vanessa. Um, I had that exact thought while I was watching it this last time. I was <laughs> so, uh, I was like, good. <laughs> yeah, so I had to go look it up and I was like, Oh, that, wait, that's Vanessa. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, the, the one thing that I would say that really has helped me, helped me like even in the first showing because uh, I had seen interviews and whatnot was that Tom Cruise does his stunts in this film. Like that's him doing every bit of action that's in this. And it's, I, he's so, he's so good in the stunts. It's incredible. Yeah, no, the, the restaurant one, the restaurant stunt, like that's incredible. It's a great stunt, yeah. The work that he does there. And they only shot it once. They shot it once. Because they had, what was it like? I can't remember how many gallons of water was on yeah. there, but they, they were worried he was going to drown. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's an yeah. amazing moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Matty, you stole mine. So that, yeah, that's what I was going to say. So we can take a break. Oh, but I did want to say the music that you are about to hear at the break was uh, recorded by our very own Andrew David Sotomayor. So. Hey! Thanks very talented man very yeah. talented oh you guys are sweet it's delightful thanks for that one bud and then so we'll take a break and we'll see y'all on the flip side get the first word first word back from break <laughs> i'm fine with that we can leave that leave this all in uh welcome back for the back half of the show we're gonna spoil the entire movie now so if the music interlude wasn't long enough get the fuck out <laughs> yes. so the first thing we do here is we say what our reaction was to watching the movie. I think in this case, I'll actually go first since I was the one who had the, the virgin viewing here. Yes. And yeah, the, the first half hour of this movie, I thought, I thought it was going to be, I thought I was making a mistake by watching this without somebody. I could not keep track of what was going on. I didn't know, like, I thought I was supposed to be tracking whatever was happening at the embassy. And I just had no idea who all the characters were. I didn't know what this yellow thing on this guy's hair was. Uh. And then, but then as soon as the first person in their crew died, then I was like, then it just like everything switched for me. And I, and I was like, oh, okay. This is the type of movie that we're in. 
-hmm. And then it sort of started a gradual ascent from there. And then until we got to that scene where he gets pulled in and then it just becomes the full on first Jason Bourne movie where he's got to run from the entire agency or whatever. And then, then that was probably the first time that I finally felt fully anchored in the film. And from there, it was just, just a ride to, to the end. So yeah, I found the first, first half hour, like pretty difficult to get into, but then after that, I was, I loved it. Mm, Who should I go to? CJ. Yes. I'm here. Yeah. Uh, So the, uh, the scene that I want to talk about is uh, the four, before we do scenes, just d- how did you, how did this viewing of the film hit you? Did you like it I, as much as you? I got ahead of myself. It you doesn't did. matter what show I'm on. I'm going to get ahead of myself. <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So we can spoil it now, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoilers. This movie is, the, it's so fucking obvious. Every time you watch it, you're like, oh my God, of course it's fucking them. Yeah, of course, of course, it's the two of them. And even like, I would say this time that I watched mm-hmm. this, this pass through when he um, shoots himself, like you can absolutely tell if you're paying any bit of attention that he shot himself. Did you He's... know that, Zach, when you saw it? No, I was too busy. I, I missed whatever tech. I didn't understand how anyone was seeing what was happening. Oh, no. It, okay. If there, if there, was he was watching on some sort of screen that he had? It was his watch. Yeah, his watch. His watch. Did yeah. they did they set that up? Did I just miss when they this, set that up? Well, they talk about the glasses, but like he's the only Tom Cruise is the only one wearing the glasses. Right. That, that he's not wearing I, the glass. Like uh, Phelps isn't wearing the glasses. So yeah. So that's a little bit of a, a stretch. Phelps Phelps is wearing Visco glasses. They all have them. Like they do set it up that those that's a standard issue thing. Was he wearing the glasses on the bridge? Yes. Oh, okay. But anyway, the angle of his hand, it's like, oh yeah, no, bro totally just shot himself. It, it seems pretty obvious. Like it, when I watch it at this point, it just yeah. looks like somebody reaching over and pointing the gun at themselves to shoot it. Yeah, it does. 100%. They, didn't, they didn't change the shot, which is kind of genius because I didn't see it coming. No. When I first, I, first time, the, movie. the first time you don't. The first no, time I didn't that's, see it. That's a testament. I did. I mean, I did have a pretty strong feeling who it was just because there weren't a lot of options. Like I figured if it was mm-hmm. going to be a good movie that was highly regarded, it was going to have to be somebody who had been introduced to us and there just weren't options left yeah. on who, on who it could be. So, yeah. but it was, I, it was maybe like 15 or 20 minutes after that, that I figured it out. Not till after the diner scene, or I guess it's not a diner, but the one with all the, the, the water. Yeah. The yeah. 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 The aquarium. Yeah. But I will say like, every time I watch this movie, I'm still like, damn, I love this movie. Mm-hmm. What a good, what a good movie. It's good. And it's one fifty-seven. Zip zip. To the end of the credits. Let's go. Perfect. Yeah. Easy to, easy to get a view in. No question. Andrew, what about you? So it's so funny because I, when I watch the show now with all the, with all the baggage that I have of my history with the movie, I remember I loved the movie the first time I watched it. 
and I just did not understand the uproar about the the gym twist. And it's, and that was a big deal. People were upset about that. Even Peter Graves spoke out about it because they had asked Peter Graves to reprise his role. And when he read that that was what they were going to do with the role, he thought it was insulting. Oh, because this is an established character from the TV he's show. He's the lead. Yeah. He's the, he's the lead, lead of the TV show. The lead dude. Both TV shows. So yeah. he he's, he's oh. the, he was the point man. And so it was looking like the setup was Jim Phelps is grooming Ethan to be the new point man. And then the twist is that Jim Phelps is actually the villain and people were upset about that. And I was a kid. I didn't get the upset. My mom was mad about it. And it's funny because my reaction Mm -hmm. this time watching it, I'm just like, yo, but if you've committed 15 years of your life to learning this character to have the movie version recast him and shit on him is insulting. And I just had to have some years under me to understand what that mm. means like i was 13 i didn't have a relationship to anything that would mean that much to me but mm. like but like it's like right now i've seen every episode of lost and i love that show so dearly if you make a lost movie recast jack and make him the man in black out of the blue <laughs> i'd be like that's bullshit like <laughs> i would be angry the, the good thing though is that that speech that he gives ethan when ethan thinks that he's ta- or he thinks ethan thinks he's talking about kittredge at justifies the turn yeah. Yes. Um, Unlike having your hero fucking milk a blob cow on a water planet. You're even gonna bring <laughs> the last Jedi onto their show. You're gonna fucking. It's my bring brand, bro. It's Jedi my brand. Somebody else. Is <laughs> Jesus. Uh, just to cut in here, there's a long-running joke on Icon or Wicon <laughs> where Andrew David Sotomayor is a huge fan of The Last Jedi, and CJ hates The Last Jedi, and it's brought up in. Every episode, at least once, sometimes two times, sometimes yeah. ten times. Always comes back up. to our regular schedule. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrible. Yeah, Peter Graves was really upset about this one, and he did Wasn't a bunch happy. of interviews where he was like, "Yeah, I hate this movie because because <laughs> they destroyed Jim Phelps, and it's a tragedy." It, it kind of it kind of is a tragedy, and and there, there's a rumor that they wanted more original cast members to be in that opening sequence to be killed. Like they, the initial idea was to have the original IMF team killed. Now they'd gone through so many incarnations, like you're gonna get, you're gonna get Greg Luganis, Leslie Ann Warren, and maybe Eartha Kitt if you wanna be fancy about it, but it's just, it would have been weird. Oh, wow. Yeah, this was, this was knowledge I did not have. I didn't have till right now. Yeah, it's an educational program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, normally for me, I'm the one who hasn't seen any fucking movies, so. <laughs> Did you want to say anything else, Andrew? Or? No, that no, that, that was it. Yeah. Uh, Maggie, what about you? Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the film watching it this time around. I kind of squeezed it in after after school, but the the viewing that I had a lot of fun with was a couple of months ago. I watched it with my kids for the first time, and they really enjoyed it. They got a kick out of all of it, and the action scenes all worked on them. The twists worked on them, and it's fun to see it through somebody else's eyes. So this enjoyment, yeah, this viewing I had a lot of fun with though still. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good film and it holds up pretty well, you know, except for the technology stuff, but the, the action looks so great, uh, especially the, the vault scene that we'll get to. It's just, it looks amazing even now. And it's just one of the greatest action scenes ever. And 
it had me just on the edge of my seat again, even though I've seen this film over a dozen times. Oh yeah. Interesting thing about the action, Matt, is like there really isn't that much that many action yeah. scenes, but it like packs a punch these set pieces. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's I mean, there's what like three action scenes, even two and a half maybe in the entire mm. film, and they're just such great ones. The yeah. the tension is so good on each of them. Yeah, they stay with you. And the the build of the action sequences is it's so different from what we expect in a modern action film. Like it really is a full ramp up for the movie. And it's even different, like, cause I was looking back through some of the trajectory of like the James Bond movies at the time. And it's really different from even those, which kind of follow this normal, the same ebb and flow that we're used to. And this one just, starts at the bottom and then ramps all the way up, which I find kind of refreshing. Like, I think it's kind of fun just knowing you're on an elevator all the way up till you're done, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I guess an escalator is a better you one. You know who Brian De Palma uh, based that off of is Alfred Hitchcock. So he's yeah. a huge Alfred Hitchcock fan. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of that influence in that kind of build up with the action and whatnot. That makes sense. It's a very suspense, suspense movie type arc. For sure. All right, let's get into our scenes here. I think going in chronological order, our first one is is you, Maddie. Yeah, so the first one that I want to talk about was this heist at the at the end of the seat. So I'm not going to try to explain everything that happens in it because <laughs> um, I don't know if I can. Uh, one of the jokes whenever you go look at like reviews from the time period is everybody in all the reviews is like, listen, I can't explain what happens in this movie, but it's a great movie anyway. Uh, so, but th- this heist at the beginning is pretty complex. And we covered a lot of the things actually that I want to talk about, which is the big one here is the transition from the TV show into the film. And the way this heist is, it feels like an episode of television that you're watching until the oh. moment where the first person dies and you're like, oh, wait a second. This is this is not what I was expecting. It's shocking. The credit yeah. sequence is like, it's like a movie. It's like it is a TV show. Like, yeah. That is not a movie credit sequence. That is yeah. a TV show credit it, sequence. It is the TV show credit sequence. Yeah. Oh, it's just, they just lifted it they straight up. They completely lifted it. Yep. Mm. They, they yeah. set you up to think you're going to watch the show. Yeah. It's actual scenes from the movie. Yeah. 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 It's cool. And then Emilio Estevez dies. Emilio Estevez dies. And he's Man. like, at the time period, he was so big. You know, he just had the Mighty Ducks and all of that. And he was, he's one of the bigger actors in Hollywood at the time period. And then he dies and you're like, wait, Emilio Estevez dies? Um, so. <laughs> this is the guy who dies at the top, who the elevator. Yeah. Yes. Jams him into squishes. the ceiling. Yeah. It's shocked. I was like, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Hold on a second. <laughs> We're doing what? Yeah. I spent the whole movie waiting for him to come back. Oh, really? Yeah. When I first saw it. Yeah. Oh, I was just wow. like, there's no way. There's no way. He's got to come back. He's Emilio Estevez. Oh, no. He was Emilio. Little, he was so famous. Yeah. Little Andrew yeah. was so devastated. So sad. So the other thing, looking at the, uh, so when Brian De Palma was talking about that, he says, that they got all these really famous actors from everybody wanted to be in this one. Uh, mm. And so they, they had all these famous actors, especially across Europe. So um, 
and they got them all in and they put most of them into this sequence. And then he's like, we can't have all these people because they wanted it to be a Tom Cruise like action feature to, to really launch his brand as an action hero. So their solution was, let's just kill everyone. Bring in all these famous <laughs> actors, kill them all off in the first, in the first 30 minutes. And then yep. it's Tom Cruise from there to the end. Last, last man standing, I guess. Yeah. But so, no, one can, no one can take Bing Rames down. It's, yeah, because Bing Rames is amazing. He's, he's yeah. so good. Yeah. So that's pretty much all that I had to say about this one. It's, a, it's an interesting scene. There's so much going on. And it's, you have all these like setups of the, like the foreshadowing of the different gadgets they're going to use that will come up through the rest of the film. But it is a pretty confusing sequence that feels like a TV show, but transforms into the movie about 30 minutes in. Yeah, I, and I guess, like, in retrospect, the only thing you really need to take from this is, like, they're trying to get whatever this list of names is and trying yeah. to secure it. And that's, and then, obviously, the deaths, but you're not, you're not going to miss those. It's yeah. a fetch quest. No, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a bait and switch. Yeah. That's exactly what it is, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's excellent filmmaking. I was pretty tickled. The, there's this shot. I guess it's at the tail end of this sequence of Tom Cruise running down the whatever the alleyway or the corridor is. And I thought it was one of the, I was like, oh, I understand why Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise now. I thought it was like, there's David Tennant running in that episode of Doctor Who and then Tom Cruise right below it. I thought it was such a good running shot. He Tom Cruise is running shots like <laughs> he is and, it, and, and this movie franchise is full of them because he has an amazing hollywood run it looks so good yeah it looks great it looks like a superhero it's insane yeah he still runs so good he's like you know i i know almost said 90 years old but he's only what, 60 um <laughs> is he really 60 i think he's he's close to 60 he's like 57 i think wow he looks great and he does look great. And he's he looks so young in this film, though. He does look super young. <laughs> he looks mm-hmm. so young. Um, but he just has such a good run. And it seems like every movie that Tom Cruise is in, they gotta fit, they gotta get a long shot of him running oh, somewhere yeah. in there. And it's just the best looking <laughs> run that you ever see in oh, any movie ever. I didn't know this was a thing for yeah, him. Yeah, it's a thing. Oh, it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Great run. Great Hollywood run. Uh, does anyone want, else want to say anything about this scene or should we move on? About the heist at the embassy? Yeah. Let me tell you, I was waiting for the moment she spread the yellow shit. I remember yeah. that so vividly. Because <laughs> she, also, also, this is the thing. They're the shittiest spies ever because this, yeah. this beautiful <laughs> woman is standing on a staircase leering at this man and her wearing big ass sunglasses. <laughs> I was just like, this is fucking terrible. Yeah. But uh, but it's and then it's, they go dark, and then yo yeah. But then the 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 whole thing, the elevator, the elevator shaft is so gruesome, and it's it's funny because it's not bloody, but I remember it so group being so gruesome, and it is kind of shocking. I still don't understand. Emilio Estevez. Yeah, like it's just, but the whole tension of it, like how with the with the passcode and how Emilio's like not really working and and Jim can't really help and it's it's exquisite it's an exquisite experience still to this day it felt gruesome like even though I know because I think I I should have gone back and rewatched the whole thing but the camera like zooms in to the 
whatever this pokey yeah. thing is. And yeah. so it really gives that, even though you don't see anything penetrate an eyeball, yeah. it really gives the feeling. You like, understand what's happening. It's yeah. very scary. Yeah, it definitely yeah. has the feel of a Brian De Palma, like body horror, horror shot. Without any of the gore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very yeah. tasteful it's very tasteful elegant for sure cj anything on that or do you want to talk about your scene well i mean i always want to talk about my scene <laughs> fuck everybody else <laughs> uh yeah i'm gonna jump in and talk about four people in a train car uh into the montage mm-hmm. so here we are so we were talking about it right we had all these famous people in the in the movie and then we killed them off get out of and here and there's this there's a scene in a restaurant with like a slightly known Canadian actor. And then we're like, we got to find people to help us out. And then boom, there's Bing Rames and Jean Renault. And that's when the movie takes off for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh yeah. yeah, son, here we go. And they're disavowed. That means they're like a little shady. We're very excited. Bing Rames is talking about like uh, strong crypto Right, and that hit my ear. Yeah. Oh, me too. So yeah. I was like, "Wait a second, what's he talking about, Willis?" Yeah, uh, that does not mean the so same then, thing now. No. Nope. <laughs> uh, and then it, it's great because they're like, "Oh, you don't know what you're talking about, Ethan. This is nonsense. What, what do you mean?" And like the confidence that Tom Cruise exudes in this scene, and when they're like, "He can't be serious," and you know, or, or is he serious? And and the the little French chick is like. Always. I still remember the way she said very, always. Yeah. This is like, yeah, very, remember always. Yeah. Very good stuff. Emmanuel Bear. I'm not going to call her the little French chick. She's a very famous French actress. Anyway. Yes. And, and then we go into one of my favorite parts of any movie, right? And that is the montage. Who montage. doesn't love a montage? Raise your hands. No hands are going up. It's a fucking montage. I do want to take We all raised our hands. It's just no it's one, a podcast. No one raised their hand. No, we all did. And CJ I saw it too. CJ rolled us. Yeah. yeah. Guys making me a liar here on national podcast television. I do just want to take this opportunity to talk about my favorite montages. Okay. The up montage. Agreed. Right, that one's good. Classic. Mm-hmm. Rushmore. Oh, I don't know that one. Neither. Great fucking montage. The montage to end all montages, but I've still got two more. Rocky. Mm-hmm. What's four. that from? Rocky. Oh, four. Rocky. Four. When he's training in the Soviet mountains. Can That's I say a great one? Citizen Kane, the breakfast table. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, speaking of penetrating the eye, the baptism <laughs> scene in Godfather. Oh, yeah. Great scene, too. Yeah. Right. This montage is like maybe in the top 25, right? Like it's not a great montage, but in the context of this movie, it slaps. It's so good because the exposition, I love a good walking exposition, I call it. It's a phrase I just came up with where we're getting the exposition, but we're also seeing the exposition, right? And it sets up the vault room scene the mainframe scene so beautifully. Yeah, it tells you all the rules. Tells you all the rules. Exactly, Zach. Yeah. So I was super excited this time around to like just take in that scene because I knew the assignment. I had to like pick a scene. And when I got to that scene, I was like, oh, yes, this is it. This is the one I'm going to talk about. 
so good. And the way that it ends with the little sweat bead dropping down onto the floor. Moment is so good. Yeah. Where's his hand that the sweat bead is that far away? Because he's so much closer to the floor in that shot. No, 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 no. You've gotten ahead. You've gone ahead. I'm talking about the sweat bead off the glass. Oh, okay. Oh, at the end good. of the montage. Because I just had yeah. this whole like five minute thing where I talked about <laughs> montages. And so I'm sorry, clearly I, I was talking about the fucking montage. Well, here's the thing though. I was so distracted that entire time because I'm pretty confident it's pronounced montage. Andrew, you are the epitome of stupid right now. It's fucking montage. <laughs> it's montage. It's montage. Zach, Matt, wait, that is somebody. It's mon. The accents on the second syllable, right? It's been driving me crazy this whole fucking time. I say, I say, montage. Am I wrong? Have I been saying have it wrong my entire seen, life? Have you never <laughs> seen Team America? And have I thought their scansion was fucked in that song. New montage. I thought it was horrible. I was like, it's montage. I thought it was montage it, my whole life. Honestly, no. I have no idea now. It's just a sound now, and I'm not sure. I I have no idea how to pronounce it anymore. I've 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 lost the word. We're gonna do some research and get back to you in the comments. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm sure people will let us know, but I think I'm Team CJ here. Yeah. Traitor. Everybody <laughs> loves a montage. Everybody loves a montage. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez i'm done okay good good uh, montage that part of the episode <laughs> with you oh. <laughs> oh dear i do want to ask because i did not understand there were two things i didn't understand about this section one was i know that the temperature couldn't go higher than one degree higher. Mm -hmm. And they had the thermometer and they were tracking it and they were watching it go up, but how were they controlling it? Like, wasn't what did they have? How are they making it? How are they making it go down? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. No, that was kind of unexplained. Yeah. Yeah. They just sort of had it. They had control of it. I thought the same thing as I watched it. I was like, is that like an air conditioner that he's sticking on there or something? How's he pulling the thermometer down? I don't know. That part's strange. Yeah. And then did I miss how they disabled the lasers? No. They had that, they had that little that thing that they put down the mirror thing, and it like it trapped the lasers and put it into that little tube. Made Uh, it makes no sense logically and or anything but that's a gadget they, that they have but they do they do do it yeah okay. because yeah because I just the movie that. needs to happen because i yeah. want the movie to have yeah <laughs> i mean they're the ones who chose the lasers they could yeah. have chosen something different <laughs> they made their own rules you know it's not like it's the real save yeah or lasers were lasers were so big at the time period though mm-hmm. like it was lasers on everything so i'm that's probably yeah, why I was I'm there. I'm curious, was this before or after Entrapment and that iconic laser sequence? It is before Entrapment. Before um, Entrapment. I think, I think Entrapment is 98. But yeah, this is before Entrapment. But yeah, the laser obsession in the late 90s. Yeah. Lasers. <laughs> Entrapment is 99. Oh, wow. 99. Love that movie. Yeah, it's a great one. Did you have an answer on where his hand was for the, the sweat falling off of his his brow? Or his glasses or his eyeball. I don't actually know where that spot came from. Yeah. Oh, the Tom Cruise's hand? Yeah. It's in the script. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a good place for hands to be. Yeah. I think Absolutely. this. I, I did, did have a script. Uh, <laughs> I did get to have one of those fun moments that we've been talking about on the show when you have never seen any movies like I have, then you get all these moments where it's like, oh, that's where that GIF came from. And yes, yeah, fallen, fallen down the rope in the all white room. It's yeah, uh, it's an iconic moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. The moment is so stressful, like where he hits the ground and the way that he's balancing his weight. He had to put coins in his shoes in order to get the weight exactly right because mm, I was wondering, yeah. Yeah, but and that's just him performing that stunt. He's just balancing himself uh, over the floor and keeping himself level. So stressful is the word. Yeah. yeah. So it is. Every time stressful. you watch it, you're like, oh my God. I mean, you can tell, but also don't you feel like it's kind of cheating because then he didn't have to do any acting. Because all like it's all real. He really <laughs> is working really hard to yeah, not he didn't touch have to the ground. Really, he didn't have to really suffer emotionally. Right. Like he yeah. Was doing the physical Just work of it all. Physically. Yeah. Yeah. There was no emoting going on. No. <laughs> no fakery. No. Fakery. Not thinking about his dead pet or anything. <laughs> That's what I was told in college. <laughs> like, if you want to be sad, just think about a dead pet or oh a relative. Oh God! <laughs> so Jesus Christ! Oh. shit man so uh, what if right I don't man. have a dead pet well I don't know you're gonna have to Go take up. matters into your own hands <laughs> oh my god awesome. hey man acting classes hey, that's a podcast for another yeah. time yeah. exactly those will fuck you up they might make you join the church of Scientology perhaps <laughs> even <laughs> I mean I took the IQ test and everything it's crazy anyway <laughs> oh, no. does anyone have anything else about this this break-in montage i did write in my notes like oh this is a heist movie now but then oh. it wasn't it was just the the just second moment, act was yeah. the heist yeah just just to get us just to get us going they have to go on a mission impossible i just want to repeat the i want to repeat that ving rames is amazing in this scene it's just so much oh, drip yeah. he he looks so good his his choices and performances he's iconic i just I fell in love with Ving Rhames in this in this scene. He's so good. He's I still don't know why they say toast. Uh, yeah, I don't know either. So, toast, toast. Why? Uh, Wait, I I feel yeah. like I did come up with a reason why I was watching, but now I now I have forgotten. No, the, I mean this scene. This scene is great. <laughs> so good, and there is sort of like. Did you ever practice with this harness? Like, how did you know that this harness was going to work for, <laughs> for this flip around situation? But it, I mean, it's undeniably visually cool. So circusy. Uh, cool. Let's move on to our next scene then, which uh, is yours, Andrew. Okay, it is low key. This isn't a Marvel show. It's what? This isn't a Marvel show. We're it's not that. talking about Loki. Yeah. No, but but this this scene is Loki the second best scene in the movie for me. Um and it's which it, scene is it? It's the scene where it's right after Jim reveals himself to be alive but is still pretending to be shot. He's mm-hmm. pretending to be wounded, and he's sitting across from Ethan and he's telling Ethan 
that it's Kittredge. He's telling him everything. Like he's like, it's this, this is the whole plan. I figured out who it was, blah, blah, blah. And Ethan responds and you see Ethan conning his mentor and being like, all right, what you want me to say is this, this, and this, but he's putting the actual pieces together in his head. And, and the way they cut back and show you all the behind the scenes stuff happened, that happened. And what's so genius that I just caught on the rewatch is he in that sequence, he talks himself out of Claire being involved. Yeah. Yeah. His, his instinct <laughs> so says good. that Claire is involved, that that's the only way it could have worked. And he comes up with an alternate thing to still protect Claire. Cause he's, and he makes himself yeah. not sure. Talks himself into it. And so the whole caper, the whole caper in act three is largely rooted in him trying to prove if Claire is involved or not. But I just knowing that and just watching, it's like, oh shit, he talked himself out of it. His gut was right the whole time. He's like, that's how they did it. I've, I've put it together. Well, and John Voigt has this great reaction. He's like, no, he, he, he could have done that part himself. And he gives, he gives this look like, oh, I mean, I didn't. And yeah. you see it go over his face. It's great. And I don't know. Uh, you know, at that moment, it had to have been Claire. And the way she looks in the camera yeah. um, in that scene, and she just looks over and you're like, it was her. And then he talks himself out of it. It's great. Yeah, oh, it's it's so satisfying. And it's a really stunning performance by Tom Cruise. Uh, it just you, you see him playing the layers for us. Do you know what I mean? And even and And good on John Voigt for letting us know that Jim kind of knows too, you know. Jim mm-hmm. Jim isn't really fooled by this performance. He goes yeah. along with it though, but he's he he definitely gets on that train with his uh ears up, you know, because he he looks at him, he's like, I I think I've been made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what he tries to say. You can't tell Claire, like, yeah, it's so cool. It's such a cool <laughs> moment. It kind of unlocks the movie for me. And even on the train later, he's like, "Did you did you know before or after I showed up at the at the train station?" Because yeah. he knows that London, he yeah. can figure it out. Yeah, yeah, that that was nice. I had to, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know if this is is Kittredge in the um, the TV series. No, no, no. Uh, so yeah, it was just me then. I had to pause the movie and like look up who Kittredge was. Because I was like, I don't know what this name means. <laughs> I mm. just, I just missed it. It's the Ray's closer. Oh, yeah. Weird how that made it into the movie. <laughs> they weren't even a team yet. <laughs> uh, is that true? Nineteen ninety-eight. Oh, Wade wow. Boggs, fucking Wade Boggs. Uh, baseball history on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, and the I mean the editing here is I guess the editing in the montage scene was spectacular as well. Both of them is a lot of cuts between two different things to try and tell this cohesive story that on first viewing like never was confusing for me. I was able to track all of it pretty well, yeah, if you're well. gonna if you're gonna have a successful montage, you have to have good editing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's hitting. I'm gonna smack the shit out of you. I swear. Next time I see you, I'm gonna smack the shit out of you. It's a montage. It's a French word. The accent is on the okay. second syllable. Um, <laughs> one of the, one of the cool things about the editing is uh, they do this thing where they've got it like at Dutch angles, and they've got mm-hmm. 
you know, they've got both of them kind of tilted towards each other. And as it goes, the, the angles get sharper and sharper and like more deranged and crazy. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, it's very unsettling the way it's filmed. Those, those angles were like one of the main things that I was not expecting that when I had mentioned before about De Palma really making his mark on this film as a director mm-hmm. that I was not expecting in this scene, but then also in the the scene before the aquarium explodes. Yeah. Where it's Oh, like, Kittredge's face in that scene when it gets it's wild. Yeah. And he's like, just come with me and make this easy. It gets so scary all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. So wild. I don't have anything else for this scene. I, I don't know if anyone else does or all right, let's move on to uh let's move on to the climax of the movie. So this is the the final bullet train sequence. And I I just had no idea this was coming in the movie. So once it once it started, I was just like, oh, oh, here we go. We are Damn. we are all the way strapped in. We are gonna fly this helicopter into this tunnel which is absolutely bananas and it was in the filming of this so i guess they actually got clearance to do filming on a real bullet train and then they realized that they couldn't do that for safety concerns or people would die people would die i think i think they might have like gotten one or two shots on the train but the majority of this filming they did and i was wondering because i was like how did they get his hair and there are definitely places where his skin is like getting pulled back and they they built an like an 140 mile per hour wind tunnel that he just sat in for shoots and his his body definitely took a toll and there were all these stories that i read about the air filtration system that they had to have because if you have wind that's 140 miles per hour then any speck of dust is going to become lethal in there wow yeah and yeah it's pretty crazy and i guess that one that stunt where he flips over on top of the train that was one where he was wired but I think they said he did it like five or six different times and Tom Cruise would like do the take and then run down and watch the video and be like, Oh no, I can do this better. I can, I can get it so that it looks better. Even though his body was just getting like absolutely torn up. Shredded in this wind tunnel. Yeah. Shredded in the wind tunnel and then like contorting in the wires and just like nailing like, getting nailed to the train and then the um the big jump is i mean there's a combination of cgi and live action through a lot of this but the majority of it is real they really tried to use as little cgi as possible which is why this sequence holds up so well it looks great Uh, yeah it really does and the explosions i think you can tell watching it but those are all models and they yeah they had to work pretty hard i think they also said they built like a full train track for uh for the set for this so that this scene i thought was 
amazing. And when I went back to rewatch it before the podcast, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to watch this like 12 to 13 minute sequence. <laughs> it's five minutes. It's yeah. just, there is a lot crammed into Boy. that five minutes. And one of the things I was able to clock on rewatch is the scoring for the first two and a half minutes. It, like there's, it's mostly just wind. And then there's a few instrument stings here and there. And then as he's on the front of the train, getting ready to jump to the helicopter, then the music really starts coming in and then he jumps and then it's just like, Oh, here we are for the theme. And it's pretty, pretty fucking cool. Great. scene. Very yeah. Action action. Like you said, you think it's you know 20 minutes of your life, but it's like four and a half. Just oh, cause so- it's, so dense so, it's they, so they, stressful and yeah. they keep it they keep it so simple like mm-hmm. they're not they're not they don't have like a big fight on the helicopters you know um like off of the helicopter or anything or like a big uh, martial arts art sequence on top of the train or anything like that they just do a few simple stunts that are evocative and powerful and then they just leave it at that and i really enjoyed that about about the sequence and it's all clean there's like modern film i think there'd be a desire to put some shaky cam here but it's not it's all super super easy the shot of the final sequence where the train's slowing down and the helicopter blade is slowing down as well Mm -hmm. and it's getting closer and closer and closer (laughs) to his throat and he actually has to like back up against the train and like inhale i was literally doing that with him i was like this is fucking thrilling same Same. it's so good every time i've watched that i just lean back as it's going and i'm like (laughs) it's so good I do. I, so, okay. So yeah. So the blade stops like right at his throat and you can feel it like, and then the train conductor passes out, rises up and then passes out. And I've mm-hmm. always been a little like, am I, do I like that? Do I think it's funny? Yes. Oh, do you do like I the want button? it to not to be, do I want it not to be there? Yes. I'm conflicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it, it works and it doesn't all at the same time for me. Yeah, it's a little goofy. It's a little goofy, right? At yeah. the end of this thing. And you need that. It's like the catharsis of it, right? Yeah, right. But, but at the same goofy. time, like you just did so good. You just did this amazing thing. And I don't know. I would love to see the alternate cut where it just stops at his throat and he does the exhale, right? He just exhales mm-hmm. and then that's it. Yeah. So what I th- on rewatch, what I realized that moment did for me in my initial viewing was it made me not wonder why the train stopped. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Because the second time through, I was like, wait, why did the train stop? Like, there was no reason, right? I don't think there's a reason for it to stop. Well, no. I mean, the helicopter just blew up. So they were maybe Yeah, like, but don't you want to get away from the No, you should get away from the helicopter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You should I keep think going. that's yeah. what you do with explosions. I yeah, think you try I and hope, get away from them. I hope the guy driving the train isn't in the back of the train. Yeah, that's a little right. strange too. Reasonable. I don't, yeah. They, I think they can do it both ways. I don't, like, I think there can, I think sometimes there are conductors in both places. I'm not entirely sure how trains work, so I don't want to yeah. uh, comment on that. So I, I have Tune never for been a season. train conductor. But <laughs> Tune I have in for season four of the train show. Yeah. The helicopter gummed up the wheels. 
and they had to stop. There is one thing about this scene that always pulls me out. Oh, and yeah. it's that, so this is just unique to me though, because my dad is a helicopter pilot. This is, that's what he did when he was in the military and then he got out of it. But when this scene happens, they go into the tunnel, the train goes in the tunnel and the helicopter comes in and we're in the theater. And my dad's like, that's bullshit. That couldn't happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so every time I watch it, I just hear his voice in my head. I'm like, oh, that couldn't happen. I'm like, no, stop. Like, it doesn't matter. It's just a movie, but it gets me every single time when that scene happens. That's so amazing. I mean, yeah. I, fucking it, love that. I definitely thought that too. And I was like, I don't care. Like, there's no way yeah. this helicopter is flying in here. And where does the helicopter go when the, tra- the train comes through? Where does yeah, it I know, right? So when like, the other does, train comes does by, it move to the side too? Like, oh right, yeah. Oh, I didn't even the, so the, dumb. The but thing I'm that killed so me, the thing that yeah. killed me was red light, green light. I was like, <laughs> oh, right, no. like he wasn't there for that scene. Tom Cruise, yeah, he was, was like, not the, in that the, scene. You're like, a producer. You should know that. No, I'm and I was there. like, was that for us? Like, it was for us. It was for us. One hundred percent for us. Yeah, that's the one thing I was like, red light. Green light. What the fuck, oh. Daddy? <laughs> I, I kind of liked it. I was like, "This is the, yeah." I don't know. Whenever actors, finger. yeah. The, whenever uh, actors do that stuff, I'm like, "Yeah." The, I mean, this is. Imagine trying to deliver that line and take yourself seriously. You know, I just yeah. like he did nail it. He yeah. did nail it. It was thrilling, but I was just like, "What is that for me?" I mean, he's he's <laughs> there at thirteen, and the movie needs him to be at thirteen. Yeah, if, if yeah. it's gonna work at all, and, yeah. and he does it. So that's real. That's really, really right. Cool. So that's all. That's all the scenes. Now we have just time. If there's anything else that anyone wants to mention about the movie before we sign off i have one thing that i want to say uh which is this system they have of surreptitiously showing their agents movies on airplanes with sensitive information seems extremely not secure to me this must be from the tv show right uh they would they would get handed briefings or they would get a tape like he always on said, commercial airlines. No, like, they no, never did that. He, and there was never a, <laughs> there was never an intermediary. Like he would always like receive a tape somehow, or like go to a location and get a tape. It was yeah. kind of like Charlie's Angels in that. Like, you yeah, never really yeah. saw a Kittredge type. Mm. You know. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, the the commercial airline. Also, shout out to uh, being able to smoke on planes. Remember that? I forgot <laughs> yeah. that that was a thing. Yeah. yeah. I wrote that down in my notes as well. Like you can, you just, that scene doesn't work now. I forgot that there was, that I lived through a time when you could do that. Yeah. Yeah. When the no smoking sign uh, light on the airplane meant something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's all I had. Did anyone else want to mention anything before we wrap up here? I have one thing. Yeah. I think that this movie ended up becoming a blueprint for tentpole male-led action films and i guess i didn't realize that until i watched it again and i was like oh wow so this movie in trying to reinvent what the franchise was and make a solo hero out of the jim phelps character because the show is truly an ensemble show with Mm. jim with jim phelps and martin lando as your sort of point men you know 
Oh my god, Barbara Bain is cinnamon. There were so many great characters in the original series. But <laughs> down, to the, down to the movie poster, right? With like one man, the side of one man's head. Like, think about all of the movies, like the action movies that came out after this film. Like that was the poster. Oh, yeah. They 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 this this type of film became its own thing. And and what's it's funny because it's it's a strange hybrid of die hard and a 70s series. But this sort of tentpole franchise, male-led film, became a thing, and we keep seeing it. We're still seeing it to this day. Like John Wick stands on the shoulders of Ethan Hunt. You know, mm. like it's 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 a very interesting thing to behold to go back to 1996 and be like, oh, this is where the male-led tentpole came from. Yeah, this is uh, actually Zach and I. I told I basically said the same stuff to Zach in chat uh, a few days ago. Because, and on top of it, it's like Tom Cruise is this short guy that, you know, he's not like this muscle bound guy. Uh, and all the action films from the late 80s were, you know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone. Stallone, yeah. And all of those things. And you had like Die Dolph Hard was London. kind of changing that around a little bit. But this one is, you, you see a pretty big change in the kind of action stars that are, that are in films at this time period well he's beautiful yes and yeah. that's and that's and that's the thing that's the biggest shift because bruce willis was very hot very masculine kind of like every av average looking you know he's kind of like an everyday mm -hmm. guy he felt like you could have a beer with him tom cruise is a movie star he looks like a movie star and for him to be yes. throwing himself into these stunts like the pretty boy doing this is a thing and then we do it again later like uh, Matt Damon does it with the board series. Like mm -hmm. we keep doing it because it worked. Yeah, kind of the only other one is the James Bond series, but James Bond is so different tonally. It's a yeah. lot cheesier, a lot has more camp elements that aren't really present in this movie. Well, and the first scrappy James Bond was honestly Daniel Craig. Like that was the first time you saw James Bond get that rough and get that beat up. Like it's, he's always been a kind of above it and classy. Yeah. 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 Roger Moore was a Playboy magazine. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, I want to say that the, uh, the mask and the makeup work, that's all legit. Yeah. Like, that's not, that's yeah, not yeah, CGI. We didn't talk about this. Except for that last yeah. one, except for the John Voight one. No. You didn't like that one? That's not, that's not a real mask. Well, yeah, they is. have they have John Voight come and act the first part, and then they also have a mask, and they cut at one point, I believe. Yeah, the mask that he takes off—that's him taking off a mask. Yeah, nah, it's it's solid dude. work. Nah, dude, because it's, it's solid the, work. No, the stretch, <laughs> the stretch is digital. Bro, there's no CGI in the mask work in this film. The, mm, it's there's none. It's so all started, done with cameras. They started doing that in the in the second one. Yeah, the second one does use yeah. the second one does a, lot, a lot of yeah. mask pulling. Yeah, I know. The, the the so so much mask pulling in the Andrew. second movie is just yeah. they they're like you know what people really loved about the first one was just the mask. <laughs> the mask. We're, we're gonna do the mask a hundred times. Or in the one. mask bell. The mm, fact that yeah. Doug Ray Scott can convince Tandy Newton that he's Tom Cruise makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Tandaway Newton. I'm sorry, I, I, I misnamed her. Yeah, the mask work. Excellent. That's yeah, good yeah, stuff. Yeah. And that's Tom Cruise playing the old senator, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. that's so stupid. 
<laughs> it's, yeah, it's dumb. Bad. It's dumb. And the accent is so bad, but you oh, know, it's so bad. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, so bad. It's fun though. The last thing that I wanted to add on here was um, so apparently Apple at the beginning of the year had lost like seven hundred million dollars, mm. and so they put fifteen million dollars of product placement into this film. Um. And so, like, everything that they use is, like, Apple computers, and it, it's all stuff built by Apple because they're oh, trying to, wow. like, rehabilitate their image. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is kind of fascinating. But it's not the Apple iOS of the time. No. No. It's made up. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Like, Yeah. And Steve Jobs wasn't in charge yet. Yeah, right. Exactly. Wasn't re-in so. charge yet. Huh? Right. Wasn't re-in charge yet. Yeah, he wasn't running the company. Yeah. Yeah, there's like two there's two stages. It's like yeah. invented and then made it. Oh, I did have one other thing. Uh, the most mm. dangerous dangerous stunt on the film, I don't know if y'all know which one it was. Uh, I'm Danger. guessing it's the I'm guessing it's the one with all the water. It is. Yes, cuz they were worried that Tom Cruise was going to drown. Um, so oh my because God. they yeah, so and it was so much water they were worried he was going to get caught underneath of it and it that would it would just like crush him and he would drown in it and he like demanded to do it anyway and so that's that's they got one take of it and that's it that i mean that is a wild shot I, like yeah. my mind was kind of blown watching it's beautiful that. yeah it's, it's, so, it's so good yeah it's yeah it's so well shot yeah all right does anyone have anything else or should we wrap this this bad boy up let's put a fork in it all right, yeah, let's put a fork in that. So <laughs> this is normally where Matt and I will would give like our Twitter handles or our um, the email address, but we do that on every show. So why don't you guys, we'll skip it for the show and you guys let us know where people can find you on the internet or uh, anything you want to plug. Uh, we'll start with Andrew. You can find me personally and what I do and all the other fun things I'm into at soto.fun. But uh, you can, yeah, that's that's where you get all, all of my happenings, all of my goings on are there. But you can also contact Icon or Wycon at Icon or Wycon at Twitter or Instagram. And uh, we are trying to be more active and I'll be more active if you're more active. I hear you say that in every uh, interlude on the show. Oh, that's because we haven't recorded a new one yet. We no, need to record a new one. We need to record a new one so badly. Yeah, it's just we we do these things so late at night. It's so late. Because Andrew is currently the music director of the national tour of Tootsie. Tootsie. Yes, yes. Uh, every, yes, every night I stay up counting to four. Look, I don't want to hear anything about how late it is because I'm two hours ahead of you are, two hours ahead so of Andrew. Late for you. Three hours ahead of that is true. Oh yeah, uh, it's late. Yeah. Yeah. Or is that uh, you can you can find me on Twitter at, at the CJ LaRoche. And if there's a soccer team in your city, go watch it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, oh, I didn't check the final score. I think the Sounders won tonight. So getting ready for the big game against uh, New York coming up. Open Cup or MLS regular season? Uh, what is it? CONCACAF Champions yeah. League, I think. Yeah, semifinals. Okay. Word. Cool, cool, cool. Oh, right. one against NYCFC. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then the last thing on the docket is we just have a closing question. This is the equivalent of your 
RBQ. RBQ? Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's just a little Easter egg for people who stick around all the way to the end of the show. So my question is, this movie has this really fun technology of this stick of gum where you stick it together and then it explodes within five seconds. So my question for you is, what is a piece of technology that you had in your life that when you got it, you were just like, I'm living in the future. I am, this is the coolest fucking thing. And I am on top of the world. Um, We'll start with Matt because he's had a little time to think. Here. <laughs> I had a little time to think, but I didn't think. Oh no. Um, yeah. So give me a second. Um we can go to uh, someone else if someone else has an answer. I have an answer. Yeah. 2005 HD television. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Blew my brain. Mm-hmm. Like I my first television was like a piece of furniture. Yeah. Okay, like mm-hmm. I used to have to, I used to have to blow into Nintendo cartridges to make them work. Okay, and I got this flat screen television from PC Richard and Son. <laughs> Turned it on, got the HD TV, and I was like, I am, I am at Giant Stadium. Like, the Giant Stadium is in my fucking living room. The first time my dad and I watched sports on HD TV, it was like. Is there anything better in life? Like, what could get better than this? Yeah. yeah. No, it's unbel- it was it was unbelievable and it, it hasn't gotten much better. Right in my opinion. Like the, when they when they figured out HDTV it was like, "Okay, we're at like 100%, fellas. Well done." Yeah, it's like the jump from 8 to 9 is a lot bigger than the jump from 9 to 10, right? Yeah, yeah. for sure. For yeah. sure. Well, and a lot of these uh, modern TVs even feel like they go a little bit, um, a little bit too far. Like he gets a little bit too realistic, goes into the uncanny valley a little bit. A little yeah, bit. They yeah, they look crazy. Yeah, yeah so. you got it like that 3D. It's like, mm, no, just just give me the HD. That's all I need is a 4K. I'm fine. Uh, you good, Maddie? Um. Yeah. So uh, I think for me, the the first time that I ever used. Uh, the first time that I ever used MapQuest, um, oh. <laughs> you know, and MapQuest back in the day, Google Maps now, but I remember back in the day having to like buy a map and like sketch out your route ahead of time and draw it on the maps. So you could try to figure out where you were. And then when you get turned, you took one wrong turn and you were just hopelessly lost and had to like go beg people for directions. And now I can just tell my phone, Hey, take me home. And then it just, tells me where to go to go home and uh, it's it blows my mind this idea that you can just drive to somewhere that you've never been before yeah you don't have to plan ahead like you just get in the car and your phone tells you where to go it's yeah you, you punch in the address stick it in the dash and go boom it's yeah. great. and you arrive and it takes mm-hmm. you through the fastest route it's wild yeah, yeah it reroutes you yeah there's trouble you go you take a wrong turn and it says, hey, let me help you out here. <laughs> I got you. I got Make you. Make turn right up here. You're good to go. It's fine. So. I got you. Andrew's about to drop a digital camera yeah. on us. What about you, Andrew? Um, I remember being in uh, middle school and we would, we were all Mac certified. You had to get certified to use the Mac lab. And there was one 
new Macintosh that had Macintalk installed. And I, I just remember my first experience and I, and I made everyone like work with this machine. And like, I, it was, it was just the first, the first time speech was integrated into an operating system. And I just remember being so struck by that, that you could hear your computer talk. And I thought that was like, I was like, holy shit. Like, it's pretty wild, huh? Yeah. I just, I just remember being a kid and being so struck by that. Like, and there was only one computer in the whole lab that could do it. And I was like, oh, I would show like, and we did this thing where we would teach the elderly how to use computers. Cause I was in the uh -huh. gifted program and, and that was, we did things, we had activities. Um, mm -hmm. I had great teachers and a lot of activities. One of the activities was like, you're Mac certified, teach these elderly people how to use computers. And without every one of my students at the end of it, I'd, I'd be like, but you gotta come see this. Like this fucking computer can talk. Like, I just remember being so bold over by it. Did they call you Dave? No, did not call me Dave. Welcome to the Mac and Lab, Dave. Uh, but that was that was the future. Like, 2001 A Space Odyssey, a computer that could mm -hmm. talk to you. Mm -hmm. That's what yeah, the future man. looked like. And I was seeing it happen. And it was wild. Yeah, man. Uh, so for me, November 19th, 2006, woke up at 2 a.m., went and waited in Miami, Florida. So it was not cold. Went and waited in line at Best Buy. Mm. I got my very own Nintendo Wii. And <laughs> when I got home and browsing the menus was fun, entering your password was fun because you just pointed the remote at the screen and it went where you told it to. And then you played bowling. Like you had your, like thought it was what VR was. I thought it was... <laughs> I mean, I still do. I still think it was like so unbelievably cool. I just couldn't believe they did it for however much it was, 350 bucks or whatever. It's crazy. That was wild. I remember, I remember when those came out and that was like yeah. such a big deal. That was it such was. a big leap for gaming. And, the, and uh, people controller. who weren't people who weren't gamers would play game like would play Wii Sports with me, you know? Yeah. Because it was I like anyone Wii could Sports. do it. Yeah. Yeah. In tennis and you hit you hit yeah. the ball as yeah. well. Yeah. And people have black awesome. eyes and broken windows, but it is worth it. Yep. The fucking song, right? Yeah, I mean the music was the Wii great. sports song. Oh mm -hmm. classic. Yeah. Uh, like, Stop singing, jerk. Yeah. You don't get to sing on this show. <laughs> uh, all right so let's uh go ahead and end the show thanks uh thanks guys for joining us this is our our first guest and we are glad to have you oh my god Anytime. so happy to be here thank you for having us this is super fun for oh sure. and i do need to say uh our next season so season four we're going to be covering shows on hulu and our first episode of that season what the untouchables right maddie yes yeah, we're going to do The Untouchables, so we're going to do cool. Brian De Palma back-to-back. -back. So join oh, us for that one. Sounds good. And yeah, we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.